grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The text for the meditation is the gospel lesson, especially the words, he was transfigured before them. There's enough in there for the whole sermon. That's really a strange thing when you stop and think about it. Our minds want more. Our minds want to be able to grasp it and understand it and somehow contain it. But somehow it just doesn't happen. That's what happens many times when we encounter God. We want to know more, but God just gives us what we need. I think of the time when Jesus was talking about the end of the world and his disciples said to him, tell us, when will this happen and what will be the signs of the close of the age, right? People always want to know, when's it going to happen, this end of the world business? One person said, well, yeah, if I knew, I would really just uh, do all kinds of wild stuff until I knew the day was coming, then I'd shape up, and then I'd be ready for the last day. But for whatever reason, we do want to know, and for whatever reason, God just doesn't give that to us. He gives us what we want to know only to the extent that it's beneficial to us in our faith. And there, are, there are three things, really, in this transfiguration that are useful and that are plain. The first one is uh, identification. Jesus is identified not just as a human, but as God as well. And the second thing is that he has authority. And so I'll talk about authority a little bit too. And finally, the third thing is mission. The mission, his purpose and the purpose that we share. So first of all, <clears throat> identification. I mean, these folks heard about Jesus and they were called as his disciples and they knew him as a regular person, a person who ate and drank and got tired and went to bed and slept and was refreshed and all that other thing. The son, as it was thought, of Mary and Joseph from Nazareth. And that was it. I mean, this experience on what people think was Mount Tabor was something which said, he's more than that. He's more than that. Because he glowed like the sun. His appearance was altered. And what did the disciples make of it? Well, there is a very strong correlation between brightness and light and God. Remember that first reading when Moses went up the mountain and said the top of the mountain was like an unquenchable fire, like some of those things we've seen on TV lately, some of those tremendously hot and unstoppable fires. That was the appearance and the presence of God was there. And also when he was leading his people through the desert, a bright cloud by day, right, and fire by night. And so you've got this repeated association of God and light, especially bright light, light which is beyond what we would normally think about. And so when Jesus participates in this, they are aware that what they're seeing in this vision is Jesus as God. In the reading for the epistle, 
we heard, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Jesus was there before them. This was for real. Jesus was a man, but he was also God. That's what the brightness was all about. His identification as God. Second thing is authority. This is kind of interesting because there's another place where this phrase, this is my beloved son, comes out. Remember that? That is baptism, right? He says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. But there is one phrase missing at the baptism, and that phrase is included here. Listen to him. It's almost as if at his baptism he was recognized as son of God, but now he had been through a time when he healed people, he did miracles, he was a wise teacher, he did all these things, and now, in a sense, he had proved himself, right? So the voice says, this is my beloved son, with whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. There is authority there. It's something that shows that he is someone that we can really count on to tell us the truth. My wife's a music teacher, and uh, at one point in a third grade class, she was telling the kids about uh, the people singing in the fields, and they would be singing so that they could uh, not worry about the work they were doing so much, but, but they would just be think, thinking about the singing and enjoying themselves a little bit as they did their work. And so the kids kind of sat there and they nodded a little bit. But my wife, about a week later, she somehow knew this big black guy. And he came in and he told the kids, kids, I want to tell you about the people in the field, you know. <laughs> and, uh, he told them about the same story. And then my wife got some feedback. One of the parents came and <clears throat> said, her child had come and said, you know what Mrs. Lemko said about the people singing in the fields? That was really true. <laughs> Somebody with authority had told them. Now they could believe. And so Jesus is the one with authority to tell us something about God. Interesting that Moses and Elijah appear. Now, <clears throat> Elijah, remember how Elijah left the earth? Did he die? If you think about your Sunday school, I can still remember the little folder that had Elijah in the fiery chariot, right? He was moving on up. And interesting that one of the people I was reading to prepare for this today talked about Elijah and the fiery chariot. And I said, I don't know about that. Somebody said, you know, if you want to make an easy five bucks, ask somebody how Elijah left the earth, and they will tell you in the fiery chariot. He said, not so fast. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, it tells about how it really happened. The fiery chariot came between Elijah and Elisha, and it says Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind. <laughs> how about that? Not what we always thought. But in any case, he did not die a natural death 
and he appeared with Jesus on the mountain. Isn't that interesting? The other person was Moses. And Moses didn't die among his people as leaders normally would. And they would have the period of mourning. Well, they had the mourning. But uh, it says God took him into the mountains and he died there and God buried him. And the structure of that whole thing is a little bit iffy as if to say, well, maybe God just took him out of this kind of life and took him into life with him. It's a little bit fuzzy, you know. He didn't die among the people, but God took care of that. And he's the other one that appears on the mountain with Jesus. In any case, he has the authority, the authority to speak. And uh, authority in the Bible is a derived concept. In other words, God alone has authority, but then he passes that authority down to others, and with that authority, they carry out his will. We say in our worship service, the pastor says, by his authority, I forgive you all your sins, right? I think it's the 20th chapter of John where Jesus says after his resurrection, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, what? They are forgiven. That's passing on of authority, that very important thing of forgiving sins because there's nothing wrong with being human, but there is something wrong with sin. Sin separates us from God, and we kind of know that deep down. And so in the Bible, we find people recognizing the presence of God. You also find them fearful. One example is when they had the big catch of fishes, and Peter realized that this Jesus was sinless, and he backed off, and he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, right? There are other examples of that. Anytime that the people feel that they're in the presence of God, they have fear. And even here on the mountain, remember? He said they lifted up their eyes after they were fearful, and, they, and Jesus said, do not fear. So they also were fearful. But the authority of Jesus takes care of fear because it takes care of sin. He wipes that out, and we are fit for the presence of God because of what he has done. Then the third thing is mission. It says in another place that Elijah and Moses were speaking to Jesus of his journey to Jerusalem, right? And we know what was going to happen there. He was going to be captured and tortured and nailed to a cross. And this was perhaps a very difficult thing for him as human being. Some have speculated that maybe Moses and Elijah were there just to encourage him to go through this terrible thing that he was about to do. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. We're just kind of thinking that maybe that was why. But in any case, they were there, and they spoke with Jesus about his coming to Jerusalem. And then, on the way down, the mountain, Jesus says to them, don't tell anybody about the vision until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead, okay? So in spite of all the other things that he had to think about, he was still focused on that final great action of God. 
his resurrection. And so he gave them the mission that he had. He came to live and die and rise again, to invite people into the presence of God forever. And then, with the authority business again, Matthew 28, you remember that one. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so we share that mission that Jesus had as well. And so here we go. <clears throat> we have the church year, which is Advent, and then Christmas, and then Epiphany, and then we have the little uh, bridge in there, Transfiguration Sunday, right? And then we have Lent, and then the, I guess they call it the time of the church. And then, guess what? Pretty soon, right back to Advent again. <laughs> so one of my friends called it racetrack theology, right? And going around and around and around. But during that period, and those times around the track, more and more people understand. More and more people are drawn close to God. His mission goes forward. So I'm not sure if I should uh, take the time to, maybe I'll just give you a sort of brief summary. Go back to Christmas, as long as we're in the calendar. And <clears throat> the fifth and sixth graders were going to do a little skit about the story. And so... Mary and Joseph and the innkeeper were there. And uh, little Kevin wanted to be a shepherd. But she said, oh, you're tall. You should, you should be the innkeeper. He said, well, okay. And so he was standing there, and they knocked on the door. He opened the door. And Mary's going to have a baby. We need a place to stay. Kevin just stood there. <laughs> Didn't say anything. So they said, Mary needs a place to stay because it's really, it's really time to have a baby. By this time, Mary's giving him a little elbow saying, you're supposed to say, there's no room in the inn. Kevin just stood there. And so they said, well, this thing can't go on forever. We better get, get it going. So he turned around as if they were going to leave. And Kevin said, wait, you can stay in my room. <laughs> he changed the story. <laughs> he changed the ending. But the reason I'm mentioning is that because because Jesus is the one who changed the ending to our story, our human story. Because without him and what he did, we would be moving toward death, annihilation, nothingness. But because of what he did, we are living toward life. Tremendous new life, resurrection life, life in the presence of God forever. We have identification of Jesus, his authority, and his mission. It's for us and for us to share, to bring life. Amen.